Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Folks, it's Ben. This is A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thank you for joining me. Delighted to say that my guest this week is Magnum photographer Moises Saman, and I'm very much looking forward to bringing that chat to you. This episode of Small Voice is supported by MPB, the largest global platform on which to buy, sell, and trade your used photo and video kit. MPB is not a marketplace. They buy directly from sellers and evaluate all items before reselling approved kit with a dynamic pricing engine providing the right price upfront based on make, model, condition, and market across a huge selection of camera bodies, lenses, and accessories. Every item is inspected carefully by product specialists and comes with a six-month warranty, giving customers peace of mind that buying used doesn't mean sacrificing reliability. The MPB business model is 100% circular. They promote sustainability, diversity and inclusion in everything they do. All packaging is 100% plastic free and their cloud-based platform uses 100% renewable electricity. And with first-class customer service, their users can receive support through the help center or by speaking with an expert over the phone or via live chat. At MPB, there's equipment for everyone who wants to try something new, hone their skills or pursue their passion and it won't cost the earth. Visit mpb.com a simple, safe and circular way to trade, upgrade and get paid for kit. So how are you doing? How are you doing? The whole world is on fire. At least half of it is. End times fun, folks. Enjoy it while it lasts. London's a bit different. Obviously, we're now out of Europe, so we don't conform to their weather patterns. And the London weather is on brand and raining and not very nice. I've got to go to Australia suddenly on Saturday, so that's uh, interesting. Never been to Australia before. All you Australian listeners, if you're out there, um, let me know and uh, we'll try and meet up. (laughs) You've got to be somewhere near Sydney, obviously. You can't be in Perth because that's like, you know, same distance again. Anyway, I'm sure you already know that. I'm the one who hasn't got a clue. But, um, what else? I'm going on Friday to a little photo festival down at the seaside in St. Leonard's on Sea. It's called Moonshore. It's a new thing. And I'm um, looking forward to doing that. There's going to be some sort of workshops. There's going to be, I'm hosting a couple of uh, sort of live chats, Q&As type thing. And um, that's happening all weekend. So if you Google Moonshore or go to Instagram and look at Moonshore or look up Picnic on Sea, you'll find out more information about that. Some of those workshops are free. I don't know if there's still spaces. But anyway, that's happening. And that's something new and uh, should be a little bit of fun before I um, get on a 50,000-hour flight the next day. Anyway... This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Capture One Pro, the professional photo editing software for every photographer that allows you to shoot, edit and collaborate wherever you find yourself, from the most controlled studio environment to the unpredictability of the open road. Capture One's powerful, easy to use set of tools feature true to life colours and superb image quality, lightning fast tethered shooting, speedy and smart shortcuts and an on the go workflow for both desktop and iPad. And Capture One Live makes remote collaboration, both for getting feedback in real time and post shoot faster and 
and easier. Free to use, collaborators can access images and leave feedback from any device. Whatever stage you're at in your photographic trajectory, in 2023 you can tell your best stories yet and bring your vision to life with Capture One Pro. Try it out yourself by signing up for a free 30-day trial and get an exclusive 20% discount on your first year's subscription by going to captureone.co slash a small voice 23. Capital A, capital S, capital V and the number 23 in digits. So um, I've got uh, Moises Saman to bring you the nicest guy in the world, possibly. Very much a contender for the nicest guy in the world prize. Such a joy to chat with Moises. He was in London fairly recently for the annual Magnum AGM, which happened to be here this year. So I took that opportunity to chat with him face to face. And yeah, I'm going to bring you Moises in a minute. I'm going to, of course, introduce him properly and read a bio out. One more little ad before I do that. And this episode of the podcast is also supported by PicTime, the advanced online gallery platform for photographers. Um, have a little look. Go to the website pic-time.com. They signed me up, of course, uh, for an account, and I just used it. Uh, actually, I did uh, some headshots of a friend for their author photo um, for the book blurb recently, and um, I wanted to share the big edit, the first edit with her. Um, to see, you know, what she liked before I started working on things. And I suddenly thought, hey, I've got a PicTime account. This is perfect. So I used it today, sent them to her. She was able to tell me which ones she liked. It was absolutely brilliant. So PicTime, try it yourself free for 30 days by signing up for a trial period at pic-time.com and enter the code of small voice to get an exclusive bonus month when upgrading to any PicTime paid plan. Moises Saman was born in Lima, Peru from a mixed Spanish and Peruvian family and grew up in Barcelona in Spain. He studied communications and sociology in the US at California State University, graduating in 1998. And it was during his last year in university that Moises first became interested in becoming a photographer, influenced by the work of a number of photojournalists that had been covering the wars in the Balkans. After graduating, Moises moved to New York City to complete a summer internship at New York Newsday and joined as a staff photographer, a position he held until 2000. 2007. During his seven years at Newsday, Moises' work focused on covering the fallout of the 9-11 attacks, spending most of his time travelling between Afghanistan, Iraq and other Middle Eastern countries. And in the autumn of 2007, Moises left Newsday to become a freelance photographer represented by Panos Pictures. During that time, he became a regular contributor for the New York Times, Human Rights Watch, Newsweek and Time magazine among other international publications. Over the years, Moises' work has received awards from the World Press Photo, Pictures of the Year and the Overseas Press Club and his photographs have been shown in several exhibitions worldwide. In 2015, he received a Guggenheim Fellowship to continue his work. In 2011, Moises relocated to Cairo, Egypt, where he was based for three years while covering the Arab Spring for the New York Times and other publications, mainly The New Yorker. His first book, Discordia, on which he collaborated with artist Daria Birang, documents the tumultuous transitions that have taken place in the region. The work featured in Discordia has received numerous awards, including the Eugene Smith Memorial Fund. Moises' latest book, Glad Tidings of Benevolence, was published earlier this year by Gost to coincide with the 20th anniversary of the US-led invasion of Iraq. It brings together Moises' photographs taken in Iraq during that period and the following years with documents and texts relating to the war, exploring the construction through image and language of competing narratives of the war. The book represents the culmination of Moises' 20 years of work across Iraq. He currently lives in Amman, Jordan, with his wife and their young daughter. So, without further ado, I bring you Moises Saman. Um, enjoyed sort of 
looking at everything in preparation for this. I've got, obviously, I have this book, this lovely book, uh, Glad Tidings of Benevolence, which is your latest one. I don't have the previous ones. I didn't have the advantage of, um, of being able to refer to that one, mm. but that uh, one was Discordia, also mm. uh, looks, looks like a, a great it's, thing. It's been a few years in between, you yeah. know, I... I yeah, I, I work slower than some people. <laughs> well, uh, may, maybe maybe faster than a lot of others as well, though. Yeah, you seem to be pretty um, productive to me. I mean, it, um, it occurred to me that obviously your career, your sort of life in photography has kind of mapped directly onto the first 20 years of this century, you know. Um, and I thought we could sort of go through, um, you know, almost chronologically and talk about all the different news stories that you've covered, all the most important, you know. It's been quite a tumultuous <laughs> two decades so far. So you're now living in Jordan. You were living in Japan for a while, were you not? I was, yeah. Um, what was that you like? Know, after a certain amount of years, uh, my, you know, my partner was sort of following me, and wherever I moved, then... We sort of reverse roles, and and I've been following her now for a few years, and and the reason we were in Japan was because of her job. Ah, uh, okay. And she was working there. She was working in Japan. Yeah, yeah. my wife uh, works for the United Nations, uh -huh. and uh, and she was posted in in Tokyo for for a couple of years, and and from there we we moved to New York, which of course is 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 home for me. That's where uh, I spent. Uh, the majority of uh, my, I guess, professional life uh, mm. since I became a photographer. And our daughter was born in, in New York. She's four years old now. And, um, and from New York, we moved to Jordan, uh, to Amman, Jordan, also because of my wife's job. Okay. And and that's where we've been. We we just had a little break where uh we we were in Boston for a year, uh where I was doing a fellowship there. Mm. And we literally just returned to Jordan uh just a few weeks ago and right. yeah. So a lot of moving around. I mean I guess, you know, doing the job that you do in a way you can be based more or less anywhere and still do that job uh, as long as you can get to the you know, stories. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I've uh, uh, I've done a fair amount of work in the Middle East. This is sort of the the area that I've I've focused on uh, uh, sort of in the past twenty years, and, yeah. and and it's always good to to sort of li you know live also where where you work, and and you know uh, that sort of affords you a bit of more of a you know closeness with the place, and and I find that um, that it. You know, it helps my work. Uh, mm. While it's also important to leave sometimes, you know, and and find some distance. But uh, but I I I've, I've have enjoyed living in the Middle East now yeah, yeah. on and off for the past twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. So Jordan's it works for both of you. You're in the place where. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of establish, you know, how it all unfolded for you, because, um, yeah, like I said, you know, you your sort of first your entry almost into um, photojournalism, at least, was, you know, the very end of the 90s, I suppose, 2000. And then, of course, uh, you were there in New York when 9-11 happened. I actually wasn't. I, I was living in New York at the time, but uh, it just happened that uh, a week before 9-11, before 
sort of late August, uh, I was on staff. Uh, yeah, I was on staff at Newsday, a newspaper in New York, and they gave me my first foreign assignment uh, just a, a week before 9/11. So I was actually in the West Bank. Uh, working with the Middle Eastern correspondent for Newsday, um, working on a story about the the second anniversary mm. of the Intifada, yeah, yeah. and and yeah, and I remember very well. Uh, uh, I was actually we were in traffic coming back from from the West Bank. We were staying in Jerusalem, and uh, and learning about the 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 attack in New York. It was afternoon time in in. In uh, mm. in Palestine and uh, and yeah everything sort of uh, you know uh, unfolded from there in a way I'm still um, uh, very much uh, involved in, in 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 covering stories and projects that that sort of grew out of these events. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, yeah. it's like your whole generation of photojournalists have really been defined by everything that happened. You know, in the wake of nine eleven. Really, absolutely, and absolutely. And and I was, uh, you know, sort of starting out around that time, and and. Uh, and it certainly marked the, the sort of the beginning of a, of a particular sort of path in my career, along with a group of young photographers of my generation that, that really did, these events really marked, uh, you know, who we are today mm. in many ways. Yeah. So when you saw what had happened there in, when you were in, in Jerusalem, I mean, what, what went through your mind? I guess we all remember that moment, but as a photographer specifically, or as a, as a photojournalist, you know, your mind must have been racing. I mean, obviously, as just a human being, you're going to react initially, but then you're also going to react as a, as a, as a photographer and as a journalist, I suppose. You may, and you must have been surrounded by other, other photographers and journalists. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly didn't sort of grasp that right. 20 yeah. years later we would be sort of uh, uh, talking about it, you know. Um, I, I think it took me it took me a long time to, to realize uh, the, the sort of gravity of, of what just happened. Uh, also, I was very young. I, mm. I, you know, didn't have perhaps the, the ability at that time to really uh, uh, analyze and, and really think through uh, the repercussions of what just happened, you know. But yeah, I mean, it was a very, uh, uh, you know, intense moment in the sense that, that as a journalist, you know, things started sort of unfolding from, from that event, you know, and I remember getting a phone call from, from my editor in New York. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but at that time, sort of, if, if you were in the U.S., you couldn't really travel because they, they closed yeah. uh, sort of uh, the, the, the airspace. airspace and... So the fact that I was outside of the U.S., uh, you know, uh, I was able to to move uh, uh, to where the story was. And at that point, I remember maybe a few days after 9-11, it was clear that that uh, that it was Al Qaeda based in Afghanistan and, and sort of all the the efforts were sort of in it you know, sort of heading on that direction in terms of mm. where the story was. So, so I remember being in, in Jerusalem and then going to Jordan, in fact, uh, because that's where the closest Pakistani embassy was. So I would get a visa for Pakistan to try to enter Afghanistan from there. Uh, I was not successful, so I ended up having to go through the northern end and going to Tajikistan, um, 
and then entering Afghanistan through uh, through northern mm. uh, through the northern border, and and yeah, that sort of uh, uh, that started sort of a journey of almost four months that I didn't come back home uh, yeah. after after that. And, and that was for Newsday. For Newsday, which that's was right. a a New York. Like a daily paper there. It's, so I don't. It's remember. still it's still around. Still around. Uh, a, a different version of 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 the newspaper that it was back then. But yeah, it's it's a daily newspaper, very well uh, regarded. It's yeah. based in Long Island, New York, which is a suburb of New York City. Yeah. Uh, but quite a quite a big paper at the time. We had uh, five uh, foreign bureaus, um, including the Middle East one. And and yeah, I was on staff at that mm. newspaper. Uh, uh, I guess from from 2000 through 2007, and and prior to that, I came in as an intern. Right. So my I guess my my I guess path into into the profession it's in a many ways quite traditional in terms of you know sort of uh, coming from a newspaper background. I, I began doing internships in university and and sort of slowly working my way up to like bigger size newspapers and then landing an internship at Newsday that later led to 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 a staff job Mm. uh which I I was uh, very very lucky to to get at that point in my career how did you learn the ropes then like did you have mentors or you just completely self-taught from you know sort of looking at people that inspired you and trying to figure out how to do it as it were yeah, I, I guess a mix, uh, but I, I have to say that my initial interest in in photography grew out of uh, my studies in sociology, mm. and uh, and I was very much influenced by by a professor, a sociology professor of mine, who later became a, a dear, uh, a, a close friend. Unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but he he was a photography sort of enthusiast and and he was using a lot of photography in his lectures um, about different sort of social uh, movements and and I remember sort of being really captivated by by this sort of visual way to to understand society you know mm-hmm. and um, so that that was really my introduction to photography was through through this professor, through these lectures, uh, hmm. where he used a lot of visual uh, uh, sociology and photojournalism, and 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 that then sort of sparked my interest in in becoming a photographer. Mm, yeah. mm. And I guess that around that sort of time, we'd had the Balkans conflict, and I guess there was a lot of photojournalism had come out of there. Were you inspired by any of that? Yeah, there was. Uh, so. We were studying that conflict in in this sociology. I'm talking about now 1995, mm. 94, 95. So it was at the height of of the war in Bosnia, and 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 yes, I remember that that conflict as, as sort of being the the first time I also I, I felt a little bit. Uh, um, you know that I was following a, a news event. You know, before that, really, my life had been quite. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I would say. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't really engaging with with the news events that were happening yeah. around me, and uh, especially at an international level. But but there was something about this conflict, and I started paying attention to the work that people were doing there. 
and 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 yeah it was really i think a a, a moment that i really opened my eyes to mm. to to the work that these uh war photographers conflict photographers were doing in in that yeah, part yeah. of the world yeah similar for me i mean i i at that point was doing my post-grad uh photography course i was doing a yeah like a one-year course and uh it was exactly at that point so I can think about and obviously for me in for us in 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 the UK it was a proximity that was so of kind of astonishing because this was a kind of just a, a European city that's you know a couple of hours away on an airplane sort of place you might have, you know Sarajevo you might have had a weekend city yeah. break you know and yeah. suddenly so yeah it was it was a profoundly kind of uh yeah kind of formative experience for a lot of us I suppose but then, so that experience of going to Afghanistan, was that a sort of super steep learning curve for you in terms of like having to operate on the ground in that kind of, in that kind of place? How did you sort of uh, deal with it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I certainly wasn't ready for, for, you know, what I was getting into. Uh, uh, you know, this is also a, a moment where, uh, you know, we were sort of switching into digital cameras and and I just remember making all kinds of mistakes uh, at, at the sort of logistical level but also technical level I mean just sort of learning how to uh, um, back up your work digitally uh, is something that I wasn't sort of used to and so I mean I, I lost so much work from from those early years and and I really uh, it's such a regret um, for me to you know to not you know not have this work sort of available now mm. you know and and um and it's because i just wasn't you know having to learn on the road with everything that was going on it just didn't seem like a priority you know yeah, exactly uh, so yeah and also you know working for the newspaper you sort of you know you were filing pictures every day and not necessarily saving sort of the rest mm. of the pictures and you know of course i wish i had now but it's funny because yeah. people probably imagine that you know the challenges are you know all about uh you know trying to not get shot and and that sort of stuff and of course that is important but but then it turns out it's really mundane stuff like logistics and yeah. you know how to move around from one place to another and all that sort of stuff and i suppose the only way to learn that is on the job you have to go and do it and yeah and, and experience it yeah but especially in a place like afghanistan which uh it, it was just such a different context uh such a sort of you know in many ways forgotten place you know a country that had been suffering from war for decades uh, uh you know quite a remote place in many in many ways you know certain places where definitely you know very very difficult to get to with no cell phone with no running water with no electricity in so many places so learning how to operate in in those contexts definitely took uh, uh, mm. a lot of sort of you know learning but i but i also remember it, it was a, a, a really interesting time because uh i was traveling also with a couple of other photographers and writers and and there was a certain sort of camaraderie about uh, helping each other. And, and I think we were all in the same boat, mm. you know. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think 
none of us were prepared to to deal with 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 right. Afghanistan at, at that at that point in our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, at least you felt like you weren't uh, weren't alone there, you right? Know, all in it right. together. Yeah, but and then you know, not that long after. I mean, Iraq was soon after, right? Because I mean, the sh- the focus shifted to Iraq. Uh, quite very quickly, quickly, very quickly. Yeah. yeah, and it became apparent, I guess, that Iraq was more of the. Uh, what, do you think it was always the 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 target, as it were? I can't really remember how it all unfolded. That's the thing. It yeah. Was, well, I think you know the 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 Bush family certainly uh, had a, a some sort of score to settle in in yeah. Iraq, going back. You know, to the previous Gulf War, but I, I, you know, I'm I'm obviously not. I wasn't on those conversations, so I wouldn't be able to comment on that. But uh, uh, but yeah, I know the the attention shifted very 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 quickly, and and also you know at that time you have to remember that uh, newspapers were putting you know absolutely every resource they had on covering these stories especially a a new york based newspaper like newsday and of course the new york times but really all of Mm. the newspapers in the in the west really well i suppose it felt like it was personal for all the new yorkers i mean yeah yeah but, but it became such a sort of you know, a story where, where I mean, I remember, you know, we would get into these rotations, you know, where you would just cover Afghanistan and then Iraq uh, for months at a time, then take a break and then return. So it really took over uh, certainly my professional career mm. and, and the ones of, of sort of my peers as well from, mm. from that time, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, and of course the 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 work that is from is in Glad Tidings of Benevolence. Your your latest book is all is all Iraq, because you've obviously been there, you know, on and off for, since then. Um, but what's interesting when you know you, you what's interesting about you is that is that you know you're kind of you're hard to sort of pigeonhole in a way because you're obviously you are a conflict photographer or, or you certainly you know focused on those sorts of stories as a photojournalist but um it feels like you're kind of resisting that in the way that you shoot and the way that you kind of define yourself but, but you know you had a kind of epiphany i think in in iraq or at least that's when you started to think about you know what the role of a of a of a photojournalist really is and i think i think your generation in a way of photography is kind of defined by by thinking really deeply about all these these things, you know, I think about all the people the people I've spoken to so far on the podcast. People like people people like Peter Van Atmel and you know some of your Magnum colleagues and 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 there is a kind of profound kind of need to really think deeply about these things. Maybe it's always been the case. Maybe you know Don McCullen you know went through the same process you know thirty forty years before. But um, I just wonder if you could talk more about all that and. Was it on the rooftop in Baghdad that that it kind of began? That was that was the the shock and awe as as a as it was was known. I remember watching that on the TV. You know the first yeah first moments of that. It was almost like it. You know the, the, almost, the revolution will not be te- televised. Right. But this was televised. It was you know, made for it TV. Was yeah, it was choreographed. It was absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that. Um, you know, there's there's an arc, I think, to 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 
to my work and, and the way I think about my work. And uh, I can't say that during those early years, uh, um, I wasn't doing much other than reacting really to what was happening in front of me. Mm-hmm. But I think that there came a time and a point when I started questioning, uh, you know, what I was seeing in front of me, what, what you know, and, and certainly what my role was and what my responsibility was as, as, as somebody that had access to, to an audience, you know, through the newspapers and magazines that I was working with. But, uh, you know, I think there was the, 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 the two sort of, the, I would say the difference is, is between, you know, sort of reacting and then questioning. And, and that didn't happen right away, you know. Mm. I mean, I think I was, during those early years, I was very much into this idea of, of capturing the, the drama, as much drama as possible, the action picture, you know, this sort of idea of being a fly on the wall and, and certainly the adventure, certainly the, the sort of, uh, you know, the feeling that, that you're, you know, uh, witnessing history. Uh, but, but I remember, and, and, and indeed it was in Iraq where after spending years there, uh, then I started questioning, what am I exactly doing? You know, what, what sort of pictures am I taking? What's, you know, how is my work being consumed, you know, mm. and, and do I have a role to play in, in shaping a particular narrative? You know, am I willing or unwillingly uh, uh, shaping a particular narrative of this war? You know, so, and I think that I was able to, to have this sort of uh, ability to question because I was returning and coming back. And for me, it became a, a very long uh, uh, period of my life, you know, mm. so... So I think this this uh, uh, ability to be able to come back to a story and and to start sort of seeing a little bit you know not from the the sort of the the, the main sort of perspective that that you might uh, encounter uh, the first time you arrive in a place that affords you sometimes this other sort of clarity you know mm-hmm. when you start seeing things uh, and and you know you start understanding the the disparities sometimes the the contrast the the sort of uh um you know you start realizing that some things don't quite add up you know Mm. and and it's ambiguous yes but i think um you know also it's it it has to do too for you know at least for me um you know being part of this sort of industry and of this machine and and you know by this, I mean working for for major publications. Uh, there's a certain sort of dynamic to to the way that you work. There's a certain uh, uh, need to to feed this machine on a daily yeah, basis exactly. or weekly basis, and also working with with writers that might have a particular story, and you're illustrating their point of view or their stories. You know, mm. so after a while, I kind of had my own things to say you know and my own questions and and that is the moment i think when when uh my work perhaps started to evolve uh in mm. a different direction and and uh, yeah i hope that's it's really interesting that's clear, yeah. yeah yeah because obviously the the kind of news agenda uh, or you know the the need to feed that kind of machine or that monster um with the stuff that they're expecting there isn't much room for subtlety, is there? Even, you know, really good. You were working for Newsweek or 
was it Newsweek Time? What is, uh, those kind of yeah. I mean, over the years, uh, you know, most of the main uh, yeah. American and European publications. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and you know, I guess you're there to that they have a certain sense of what they're expecting to see, and it's hard to push against that. Did you feel ultimately the need to kind of push back against that in some way, or did you feel that they are they are they more sort of are they sympathetic to? you know, the, the person on the ground, you know, needing to kind of to do that in a way to show the ambiguity when there, when it exists or, or to, or to at least try and paint a picture that's, that's more complex than the one that they're trying to, yeah. you know, publish. Yeah, no, there was a, a fair amount of pushback. Uh, I've also been, been extremely lucky and, and grateful to certain editors that I work with that were receptive to, Perhaps a, a more nuanced uh, uh, approach to 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 the pictures that I was making, and that I felt represented, you know, mm. the story better. Um, but no, definitely the you know uh, at the end of the day, you know, I you know when you're an assignment, you file a certain amount of pictures, and and you know you don't really have a say on. Right. You're not part of the ultimate discussions of what's going to be. Mm-hmm. Publish the next day or the next week. So. Do, do you find yourself in a way sort of trying to serve two two masters, whereby you're doing that, but at the same time you're thinking, I'm going to shoot for myself here as well, and maybe you know, in years to come, I'll end up with something like this book I've got in front of yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think after a few years of, of going to Iraq, uh, I yeah, I started thinking in such a way, mm. um, but. Uh, but ultimately, you're still, you know, when you're on assignment, you're you're there with a particular brief. You're there to tell a particular story. Um, and again, I mean, I've worked with certain editors that are more receptive to my take on that particular story, but it's still not my story. You know, yeah. it's 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 uh, uh, somebody yeah. else's. And so I think part of uh, my you know part of the challenge for me has been to to break a little bit free out of this mm. this dynamic and and of course it's uh it's it, it's it's not easy because um you know you need to uh, you know working in in this context is expensive and and, yeah, and yeah. uh i certainly don't don't you know I'm not independently wealthy to to you know to be able to fund my my own work like that but but you know finding ways to uh to to work sort of in a different model it's something that I've been putting a lot of effort in mm-hmm. and 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 later in in my life and uh I've I've been uh lucky to be able to work with with grants and and that sort of thing where you have a little bit more freedom to set your pace and to to sort of explore parts of the story that mm-hmm. that you know sort of come from from you from your own interest yeah exactly yeah and and in that, that's in in that respect you're you're a bit more atypical you're you're i suppose you i think of you as a documentary photographer broadly which i guess is a bit of a wider definition than to sort of make someone very specifically mm-hmm. about but i mean this is all i mean talking about these kind of I don't know why. Why is there a need to even define people or to put people yeah, I, in? I think it's a human nature. Or it's human nature, yeah. Um, but yeah, in a way, I'm just trying to highlight the fact that that isn't isn't a very useful thing to to do, um, it, it, especially with photographers, as I have learned in the course of uh, talking to people. But you had a couple of former, a couple of kind of big experiences in in Iraq. One was that you ended up in Abu Ghraib, the infamous prison. I think it was. 
mercifully only eight days, but I wouldn't want to spend <laughs> eight hours in there. How did that experience uh, impact you? Uh, yeah, well, I think, uh, I mean, these, these are actually some of the experiences that, that, that in a way motivated me to, to look at the story from a different perspective because your, your sort of, your role changes from, from being this, you know, what you were supposed to be this kind of, you know, objective, unintrusive, uninvolved sort of, uh, observer, uh, into you know sort of being being a, a victim and a participant and and I think there's something interesting there. I think for me, I mean, the, this experience obviously was was quite uh, 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 you know certain you know in some ways traumatic, uh, uh, but uh, but you know it's been a long time since since that happened and, and I've been trying to reframe that experience too and and working in this book. Uh, working on this book uh i i really sort of went back to these experiences and and i started thinking through you know the fact that in a you know ironic way i mean being being uh um you know being a a, a prisoner uh, which in itself is is sort of this 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 situation where your field of view is is completely sort of uh control and and you know you are really on your own obviously without a camera you know but but in a sense you are actually witnessing something that is quite hidden from mm. from from most people you know which is this sort of inner core of of the security apparatus of of the regime of Saddam Hussein and 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 being able to see it from from this uh, very sort of uh, um, uh, hidden place uh, uh, really sort of you know it was something that I thought about a lot while I was working on the book and and how I could uh, you know speak about about this sort of clash of narratives you know and 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 you know I mean I. The eight days, yeah, were were very uh, uh, stressful, and 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 uh, I was with uh, four other uh, foreigners. Uh, uh, we were in um, in solitary sort of cells, so we didn't get to see each other. Uh, there was a fair amount of uh, uh, sort of abuse of other prisoners that that I, I witnessed, and my 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 fellow prisoners uh, witness as well mm. uh, we all went through uh, several interrogations and and you know but ultimately uh, you know we were eventually released mm. and and after some you know international pressure from different uh, sort of regional actors and uh, but yeah it's um, definitely a, a place that that also has its 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 sort of history in, in, in the history of Iraq. It's a particularly dark place. It's a, it's a place that really represents the, the, you know, the inner workings of, of this police state mm. that was uh, Saddam Hussein's Iraq. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got to assume that you were spared the abuse uh, as because of you, you were foreigners and, that uh, you know, therefore you were yeah, treated with a slightly... Uh, yeah, they were. Well, I mean, certainly, yeah. There, there was no. Uh, we were not abused uh, physically, but uh, but we were made sure. I mean, they made sure that we saw what they were doing sure, to sure. to other uh, less 
privileged and less fortunate uh, mm. uh, prisoners. And and you know this is also this also happened sort of uh, during the first weeks of the invasion and and so it was a very difficult time because the Americans were bombing also the facility uh, uh, at the time and you know between being in prison and and also the bombs falling on on you it was friendly fire a, you know it was just not a yeah. a great situation not very you know? yeah. yeah. And then, and then, at some point, you um, survived a helicopter crash, which not many people can say has happened to them. Um, did that have an impact on 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 your sort of, you know, your view of, uh, you know, your um, your own mortality, I suppose? And you know, did it, did it make you become fatalistic, or did it did it make you uh, kind of fi- find life? more precious than that. Yeah, I suppose these are all kind of cliches in a way, but not that many people have um, had that kind of near death uh, yeah. experience. Yeah, no, that, that was in, in 2014 uh, in Mount Sinjar in Northern Iraq. Uh, uh, and this happened. I, I joined a, a mission to uh, go rescue a group of uh, Jezidis, uh, this this religious minority that's in northern Iraq that were being persecuted by by ISIS, and they were stuck on the top of this mountain, sort of surrounded by by ISIS fighters that were making they were approaching, and the only way to reach them was, uh, you know, sort of on an helicopter, and. And and it was yeah it was difficult because at that time I was already um, uh, I wasn't married but I was already uh, with with my now wife and it was a different sort of time for me you know yeah. I was a little bit more uh, responsible and and I was a little bit more sort of conscious about uh, what this sort of life you were anxious to, to to keep a to keep well, your life yeah in I a mean, way that you perhaps weren't before yeah I mean I think uh, you know for many years I wasn't thinking about many other sort of people other than myself and my mm. own career and 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 about the sort of collateral damage that that this uh, this profession does to to your loved ones, you know, mm. and. And anyways, but my head was sort of in a different place at the time. I was in a committed sort of relationship, and and this was not, you know, I this wasn't supposed to be a, a, a sort of a dangerous assignment in a way. I, it was more a humanitarian story, and of course, you know, uh, you know, I. You know, when you work in this context, uh, uh, there's a certain amount of unpredictability that you yeah. just, it, there's always a risk. And, and unfortunately, I was in this helicopter that uh, because of overweight, because when we landed to rescue the people, there was just a mad sort of rush of, of, of very desperate uh, people that wanted to get out of there. And you know a, a lot of people jumped inside the helicopter and the the commander the pilots decided to abort the mission and sort of take off and and upon sort of lift off we we crashed on the side of the mountain mm. um, fortunately four people died in that crash including one of the pilots and 
and I was miraculously sort of fine, just some cuts and bruises. And I just remember my first thought was like, how am I going to explain this to, <laughs> to my girlfriend, you know? <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and you know, I mean, this, this, uh, it, it's just, it's difficult. It's difficult because, uh, you know, she experienced this in her own way, you know, and, and it was uh, quite a traumatic experience for her to learn that I had been on a crash and, and she wasn't sure if I was okay or not. And, yeah. you know, um, so... Yeah, uh, I think it's important to, to, to really be conscious of of the people around you that care for you and that yeah. love you, uh, you know. And I mean, just it's, you know, this is kind of one of the weird functions of that kind of situation that the danger can come in in really unexpected places like you say you know you know you know the stuff we all we all know is dangerous but then just you know something like that which you weren't expecting uh, I mean I remember in the Gulf War or similar to you um, there was a TV reporter here in the UK I think he worked for Channel 4 I think his name was Gabby Rado but um, he fell off a roof you know he, he was doing what you were doing he was reporting from from up there and and um, you know, I don't think anyone expected him to to die in that way, but that's that's what yeah. happened. You know, it's kind of yeah. banal, um, you know, unfortunate, horrible accident. Oh yeah, I um, mean, car accidents. For yeah, example, car accidents. It's yeah. something that uh, it's 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 one of the most dangerous sort of things that we have to deal with in some countries. Uh, yeah, you you just never know. You know, people are stressed. You know, people don't sleep enough. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in a constant state of of, of sort of uh you know uh yeah it's, it's just that it, it's very difficult you know and do you feel like this 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 idea that we sort of touched upon you know the, the notion of kind of detached objectivity um what, what you know at what point did you sort of abandon the idea that that was even a thing i mean i you know for me, I, I, I quite early on, mm. I, I began to. That was one of the first things that I started questioning because I just remember, sort of, having very strong feelings about what I was seeing, you know, and uh, and I just didn't feel sort of right, just sort of being uninvolved mm. and 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 just observing like if i was in some sort of uh, a movie set or something yeah. or watching a movie or you know and and it just sort of it was something that was eating at me and 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 really it was sort of the, you know keeping me up at night and 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 thinking through you know the people that i was seeing the situations that i was seeing and and you know the stories that that I was learning of, you know the the histories of the people that I was photographing, uh, and and you know, but again, you know, sort of working on assignment on deadline, you know, sometimes you don't have time to really sort of get to really know yeah. the people that you're photographing in these very uh, uh, important moments in their lives, you know, where they you know going through probably their worst days ever you mm. know and 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 i just uh i i you know for me there was this sort of realization that that i was just i just wanted to get past 
dealing with just types of people that I wanted to sort of understand who these people were, you mm-hmm. know, and and again, then you're doing this over and over again in, in, in different places that I was being sent in different conflicts around the world. And at some point, you know, uh, it's, it's just very easy to, to, you know, I don't know, uh, um, I guess you can go both ways. You can just totally close off and just become some sort of robot, you know, that does good work and that, you know, uh, um, that somehow gets on with, with, with your life or, or, you know, my, in my particular situation, I, uh, that just wasn't good Mm. enough for me and, and I just couldn't do it, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I, I, you, I think you used the expression somewhere that, you know, it was, you, I guess, felt the need to denounce human suffering that, you know, actually in a way, uh, I guess that's your sort of moral obligation in a way as a as a a witness of those kind of conflicts did you feel it that way yeah i mean certainly not 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 at the beginning i mean again i think i was very much uh a sort of participant in this sort of like you know i i just thinking about my own career trying to to get to a certain place in 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 you know uh with my profession uh but that changed over time that Mm. changed over time and and then i also over time i realized that that we're not really making any demands from from our audience you know we're just sort of putting the work there and and hoping that something will you know and i just wish and this is something also that i thought about a lot in, in in the book and and is this idea of, of, of making these demands, you know, and, and, and demanding solidarity, demanding at the very least solid solidarity, if not action, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what sort of work, what sort of pictures lead to that, you know, and are they the, the most dramatic pictures sort of of the peak action of, of some of these scenes, or is it perhaps the work that's maybe a little bit sort of more nuanced and, and more intimate and, mm-hmm and and maybe work that that can somehow other people can relate into their daily lives you know as opposed to things that are happening so far mm. away and and so dramatic that it's almost almost fiction or cinematic or something that belongs in 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 a in a movie rather than reality you know and and yeah and it's something that that you know I, I think about more and more and, and I wish I had a, 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 a formula to, to sort of lead to these sort of, to make these demands and in a successful way, you know, but, uh, but one thing that I've realized is at least, you know, I think for, for me is, is that perhaps is this other sort of approach to the work, the one that's a little bit quieter, more nuanced, more human, really, where you're celebrating also humanity rather mm. than than the lack thereof, you know, in this very difficult context that, that perhaps is a little bit more effective there. I, I like to think that, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that you say that because it makes me think of a picture of yours, which I, I, I really love. In fact, I want to, I'll, hopefully I'll use that, this one to go with the blog post when when this chat goes out. But there's a picture of a guy against the backdrop of kind of the kind of you know carnage and smoking uh, vehicles and stuff the sort of thing you'd expect to see and uh, it's just a guy in a suit on his way to work you know with a with a briefcase mm. and it's such mm. a great it's one of my favorite 
you know, certainly one of my favorite pictures is yours, but I think it's one of my favorite, you know, conflict photographs, as it were, because it's such a weird juxtaposition, but also really important to see, I think, because we don't see that very often. That in, in the midst of this chaos, people are getting on with their lives, you know. Absolutely. I love that picture. Can you tell me, talk a little bit? Yeah, about thank you. Um, no, it's 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 just uh, it's it's life, you know, in and 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 it celebrates life really, and it celebrates, I think, the ingenuity of this person, you know, that uh, even within everything that that is going on in his country, in his city, this was at the height of the insurgency in Baghdad. Um, you know, he still has the ability to, to put on a suit in the morning and to go to work, uh, whatever work he was doing, you know. Maybe he didn't have a job and he mm. just, you know, felt like, like, you know, sort of, you know, being the symbol of normality or, or of, of, of continuity, mm. you know. And, and this is something that I think gets lost sometimes in, in, in the coverage of some of these, these news events in different parts of the world is the fact that, you know, people get up in the morning, kids go to school in some way or another, you know, uh, um, and life continues. And, and, uh and this ability that some people have to see the big picture, you know, and to be able to sort of continue in some way and not be paralyzed by by things that are outside of your control, I think it's incredible yeah. and, and should be celebrated. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you've also kind of made the point elsewhere that um, the Iraqis, you know, have had many decades of, uh, of conflict and, and, you know, tumultuous times. So... For them, it's almost that is their normality in a way, you know, for that guy, you know, yeah, and, his and, generation. And, well, I, I wouldn't say norm, it's normal because there's nothing normal about war, yeah. you know, and, and unfortunately, some places, you know, that is what they've been living through for, for decades, you know, at a time. But they're really, uh, you know... I, I, I don't want it to seem like that there's a certain normality to it. But within that abnormality, mm. there is there is life. You a, know? That kind of resignation that that's just, you know, that's what, what's happening. And therefore, yeah, you but there's to, certain hope there, yeah. too. You know, I mean, I, I see that photograph as a very sort of hopeful and and. And I think that it resonates because precisely that, maybe, you know. Mm. And, uh, yeah. yeah, there's a kind of symbol of, like you say, that a symbol of normality, a symbol of resilience, I suppose. And continuity yeah. also, and continuity, yes. Yeah. yes. There was something I wanted to ask you about that you you made reference to, which was um, an idea, I think, from Judith Butler, who is a philosopher. And, yeah, it was something that she referred to as the framing of the frame. And I think this was an idea that, that sort of resonated with you. I was wondering if you could talk a little more about it. What did, what does she mean by that? And how did it sort of strike you as, as relevant to what you're doing? Yeah, I, um, so I began to, to read some of, uh, Judith Butler's, uh, uh, work on, on, on photography. I mean, she wrote a lot about, uh, the Iraq war and about, this phenomenon of, of embedded journalism and how, uh, in many ways, uh, uh, the state can can sort of control your your field of view, your perception, 
uh, by, for example, in this program of, of allowing journalists to be embedded, literally you're only seeing you know, things from a particular point of view. So what is left outside, you know, I mean, those frames that you make within that space um, and, and this idea of, of really the way that certain actors, be it state, being uh, armed groups or, or people that have the power to, to control a certain narrative, you mm -hmm. know, and how, how that is being, uh, you know, sort of what that looks like on the ground uh, for journalists, for photographers. And, and for me, uh, you know, the, the way I interpreted this framing of the frame uh, 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 in the context of, of Iraq and in the context of this book was, uh, you know, the way my photographs, were, the, in which way were my photographs in dialogue with these other forms of narratives, you mm. know, and, and how these sort of different narratives clash sometimes and how do they... Uh, sometimes uh, 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 contrast, but, but ultimately how they're in dialogue, you mm -hmm. know? And, and so for me, I, I, I decided to, to include certain quotes from different people, certain uh, um, uh, uh, pop culture references about the Iraq war as examples of this form of shaping the narrative. I use a right. lot of different uh, official documents, official statements, uh, you know, from politicians, from just different people that were involved in Iraq in the past 20 years. And, you know, so that is the way they were shaping a narrative and how the, my pictures are in dialogue with that, mm. you know, and sometimes unexpected ways in which they come together, you know. Right, yeah, yeah really interesting. And, you know, the, the, the quotes that you've used, like you say, that they're, they're not in context. I mean, they're just kind of almost random. We have to make of them what we will. And we have to think about them, you know, in, in, in ways that just, I guess, whatever comes up. But... Um, and and actually, the title "Glad Tidings of Benevolence" comes from uh, sort of a, bun a bunch of, uh, I guess, code n names that the that the military had given to various uh, operations, and you've That's actually right. used those to to break the That's into right. chapters as yeah. well. Yeah, and and you know, while I was uh, sort of researching the book and thinking about how I was going to sort of include all of these different uh, forms of narrative shape shaping. Uh, I I came across this this you know list of of, of hundreds of uh, different military operations, and I became fascinated by the way the U.S. military used language in in war mm -hmm. and and the sort of the the sort of ironic way the euf the, the euphemisms that that are used in language and. And, and the sort of sinister, really, the, the sinister way in which language is used to, to name, you know, certain events that, that actually cause death and destruction. And, and, mm. and, you know, and then the way also the American military was renaming streets in Iraq or renaming buildings and sort of creating this sort of parallel uh, grid, you know, this parallel sort of... Uh, uh, um, you know, world that made sense to them. You know, I use in in the book also parts of of this uh, booklet that that was given to the soldiers uh, headed to Iraq about oh, yeah. you know what to do, what not to do, yeah. what sort is an era, cultural you know, norms, cultural to expect. norms. Yeah, 
which is know, kind of yeah, in its own way a weird very document. very ironic and and in many ways uh really sinister too yeah. and yeah and, and of course the the whole idea of redaction is redaction a word but yeah redaction the way in which documents are redacted and and, and, and you know, it's a kind of familiar trope to see these kind of blacked out uh, documents with almost nothing left because it's right. all classified or right. whatever and that has been you've played with that as well I, I guess it was I suppose in, in, in collaboration with uh, Gost and, the, and Stuart Smith and you know um, yeah that, that that's a theme that runs through as well that's right yeah and of course I mean these these redactions are, are uh, yet another example of trying to control the narrative and trying yeah. to 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 hide a certain amount of information that could lead to another sort of, you know, another way of seeing things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, when you, you you sort of went from all of that to the the next big kind of global news story was the Arab Spring, and of course, you were right in the middle of that. I think you moved to Egypt, didn't you? But did you move to Egypt in response, or was it just coincident? No, kind of being. No, uh, so I uh, at that time I was uh, a regular contributor to the New York Times, to the newspaper, and my editor at the time uh, had the the vision that I didn't have. You know, when things sort of started happening in Tunisia, uh, uh, and then sort of you know then becoming sort of more of a regional phenomenon of of these protests against the 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 regimes he had this vision of uh you know basically you know telling me that i should move to egypt you know and, okay. and that um, yeah. and i remember the time i was actually i had just joined magnum and and i was looking to to sort of stop reacting to just random stories that they were assigning me to and and i really wanted to focus in in one one region one part of the world one story really and i remember sort of going to see my editor at the new york times and and telling him that i i wanted to move to latin america you know because that's uh, a place that that's where i was born but i didn't really grow up there and and i wanted to explore sort of my roots in peru and and he basically said, I mean, you know, you're free to do that, of course, but I think, you know, the story is is in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And so I, I listened to him. I, I moved to Egypt and, and really that, you know, uh, yeah, that sort of was the next uh, almost five years of my life yeah. was. Uh, so he was able yeah. to sort of he obviously predicted all, all, all that. Well, he was obviously had a a, a good knows for you know what was journalistic kind of insight yeah and i think also sometimes you know it, it does take somebody else to see things from a different perspective maybe a little bit not as sort of close mm. as as you you know uh to you know to to sort of set your your path a little bit you know yeah and, uh, yeah and so like when you started covering that how how did you sort of bring everything that you'd sort of come to understand in Iraq to that to that situation all that stuff about the framing of the frame was that still you know in the forefront of your mind in a way were you sort of think, thinking over those things still yes no that that's sort of when um I think that's around the time uh, we're talking about 2010 2011 uh when when I think 
I was fully in that sort of frame of mind, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to to question a lot of the the you know the the storylines, a lot of the the official narratives, and and of course during the Arab Spring, uh, you know, I as these sort of revolutions, uh, you know, move from one country to another. Uh, I was working at a very sort of intense pace where, you know, I would be in like Syria one week, uh, back in Egypt, covering the protests, then back to Tunisia to follow up on other stories. And it really became sort of like a blur of, of, of uh, um, you know, sort of almost like a one story in itself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's how I started thinking about telling this story in, in, um, sort of a longer photographic sequence uh, that eventually became uh, the book that I did on Discordia. Mm. Um, that's around the time also where when when I uh, I was given a, uh, a Guggenheim grant that allowed me to also, uh, you know, work a little, start sort of working a little bit outside of the, the this model of working just editorially mm-hmm. on assignment uh, and and sort of start sort of feeling a little bit freer to to go down different sort of rabbit holes that that you know uh, that I felt I wanted to explore mm. you know yeah so with Discordia I mean obviously with that one you deliberately took all these different countries and put them in the same book you know almost as if in a sense trying to get across that that feeling that i guess you had of it all kind of blurring into one and maybe that's what the title refers to i'm not sure what what that yeah, word, word uh, is about well, the, the, the title so i also i i uh, for the first time i i collaborated uh, quite closely with uh, with an artist on the book um uh, Daria Birank, who's a, a dear friend also, and uh, she brought a completely different perspective uh, to the work, you know, so it was really um, uh, very counter sort of intuitive for me to to let go of certain sort of things and, 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 and uh, um, certain ways of working, you know, mm. uh, and and she was very very um, uh, influential in in thinking about a story in in that sort of uh, more sort of holistical way, you know, not not quite sort of chronological, not quite defined by location or um, and and it really it was it was such a, a, a an amazing experience to be able to collaborate with somebody that that didn't really have that sort of perhaps closeness to the events and to the work and that led to some very interesting uh, um, uh, sort of approach to making the book you know we made some collages for example that's something that I had never sort of experimented yeah. with uh, and but they were quite sort of relevant you know because uh, you know, we we're talking earlier about this idea of capturing peak action, you know, and I had photographed so many protests in, in Tahrir Square, you know, where uh, where after a while you started seeing the same people, you know, and there was this sort of similar sort of way that things would happen, you know, all the protests would start at a certain time of the day. 
you know, the, the way that people moved around the protest were similar. There was a, a certain sort of theatrical kind yeah. of performance about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about Which, again, is all part of this whole thing of, you know, the framing of the yeah, frame. Yeah, exactly. And narratives. And, and I actually remember from those particular events, the, the Arab Spring, where the so-called citizen journalism became a bit of a sort of buzzword and people were obviously filming stuff on their on their phones and that kind of thing. You know, which in one sense you think, yeah, that's good, but then then that also becomes problematic and difficult because they're also trying to force their agenda. And there, there were occasions or there were particular um, incidents which, you know, made clear that people were fabricating stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, you start to realize how complicated it all gets with that. Absolutely. When that's Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and precisely the, these sort of dynamics is what, what, motivate me to to you know try to transcend that that sort of very s strict sort of for photojournalistic mm. kind of approach you know because I, I just don't think it's enough you know yeah. i i um i think for me that the questioning is more important than 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 the part about sort of conveying information you know yeah. especially in these sort of situations that are quite complex that you know are cultures where certainly i'm not you know from that culture you know so i cannot assume to mm. to really know uh for certain you know uh, uh everything that's happening you know yeah. and and that sort of coming to that realization, uh, in a way, if you embrace it, you know, if you embrace these limitations, I think that's where there's a certain honesty that then begins to show in your work, and and mm. perhaps that sort of also frees you to to challenge yourself a little mm. bit more. That's what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, well, the fact that you're collaborating with an artist is is an indication that you're not, you know, you're definitely going or willing to go in a direction that that wouldn't normally be associated with someone yeah. who does your kind of work. I know? mean, it, it's in a way, I mean, it's such a sort of solitary work that we do as photojournalists, mm. you know, and, and, and being able to really work super closely with, with somebody else uh, that has a stake in the, in your work, but from a different perspective, you know, it's, it's really wonderful. And, mm. and I have to say that when, when you find that person that, that really uh, uh, understands uh, where you're coming from. Uh, I mean, collaborations are are, are beautiful, and, mm. and and it really it, it the work transcends you know that that immediacy that perhaps uh, um, yeah. we're just conveying through that picture. You know. Also, though, it makes me think about I think something also you've talked a little bit about is you know this ambiguity that we've already mentioned that you get in these in these situations it's uh, war and conflict situations where things are not cut and dried but also the journalistic impulse is to find out facts you know and, and report those facts so there's a kind of tension between those two things which i think is really hard can be really hard to resolve because it feels like we're in this kind of i think people talk about a kind of post-truth world that we're in and i and i think that's really dangerous because there are there are such a thing as facts you know there are there is such a thing as as truth i think to some extent um discuss but you know in terms of the sort of traditional approach to to journalism where you just your fucking job is to tell people you know to to sort of separate 
all the kind of fuzzy bullshit with, to, from actually what's going on. But at the same time, there is that. So, right. yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 uh, it's it's complicated because uh, as you say there's there's this sort of almost need to 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 filter all the bullshit and 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 you're this sort of vehicle to to somehow you know uh try to find truth or whatever that is you yeah. know while perhaps the story is is not this truth you know perhaps the story is the way this you know hidden sort of forces are 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 you know trying to shape a particular narrative you know and i mean for me obviously i the, the way that i work i i um i do sort of put certain sort of limits to to my work like i in, in the sense that for example i don't uh recreate scenes i don't uh mm tell people what to do obviously and 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 you know that to me is is sort of represents a, a, a certain reality that perhaps translates to to facts but uh but i certainly it, it's not what i'm after you know mm. uh, i'm i i i want to i want you to engage when you look at my work and i i want you to 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 question you know question where you're seeing and 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 sort of demanding your attention and mm. demanding your your engagement with um, with what you know with what I'm showing you in 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 the pictures. Yeah, I wanted to ask about one particular image, uh, a portrait of uh, a guy called Abu Zakai. I think his name was, um, and uh, you took you took a portrait of him. It's very beautiful, black and white. Again, not the sort of image one would necessarily associate with the kind of work you do. But um, I think you know that was about you, you know kind of understanding from your point of view that um, these people uh, can sort of um, move from being hero to villain and 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 sure. and, and, and back again. This guy was a sunny uh, commander, I think, who sort of flipped and uh, decided to start working for yeah. the for the Americans. But then at the same time, you know, it was quite a heroic image in a way. You had made him look quite cool, and I think I'm not sure. You know, mm. I feel like maybe there's a sort of there's a sort of weird uh, sort of uh, ambiguity about that. In yeah. Terms of your, in terms of your intentions, or or whether it you know whether it actually uh, worked out the way that you kind of intended it to no that the, there's certainly um there is a theme if if i would think about sort of overarching themes to to my to my work or the way that i think about my work is is this sort of uh, uh relationship between victim and perpetrator and and this sort of shifting of roles that that is something that 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 I've seen happening in many conflicts, you know, and and trying to understand the way these sort of roles shift uh, is is something that 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 I think about a lot when when I uh, when I cover, uh, especially in, in in the context of conflict, for example. Uh, and in this particular case, I mean, yes, I, and you know, this uh, really represents yet another moment in 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 these past 20 years in Iraq where 
uh, a particular narrative that had been sort of pushed on all of us, which was this sort of dehumanization of the Sunni insurgents and, and their, you know, how, you know, how uh, bad they were and how many people they killed and how uh, basically evil they were. And and suddenly how that that narrative sort of flipped because at one point the Americans found a way to to work with them against a common uh, uh, enemy, which at the time was uh, the sort of emergence of the Islamic State, and mm. and and this sort of way in which the narrative was flipped almost overnight uh, was fascinating, you know and. And so I remember uh, going to meet this commander. It was uh, I was on, on on assignment for the New York Times, and and it's the first time that he was gonna speak with a Western uh, uh, news outlet. He had been one of the most sort of ferocious and 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 really sort of you know effective kind of insurgent commanders in terms of I mean he had killed a lot of Americans, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of American soldiers, and. And we showed up and, and he, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, middle-aged man, you know, uh, uh, but he showed up wearing this hat that, you know, it was sort of very uh, unusual hat. But again, it was something that I had seen before and, and I was trying to figure out where I had seen this hat before. And then it dawned on me that it's a hat that Saddam Hussein used to wear in many of his portraits that were all over Baghdad before the Americans came. And there's this famous portrait of of Saddam Hussein, uh, of him holding this shotgun with one arm, you know, very macho kind of, uh, um, you know, picture of, of him holding, shooting up in the air with one arm, wearing that hat. And and it just I was inspired by that picture when I saw the hat on on Abu Zakaria, yeah. you know, and there were plenty of guns in in that room as well. And I just asked him to hold the gun in the similar way. He was obviously thrilled to mm. be, you know, because I think he knew about uh, the oh, so picture of Saddam he Hussein. He was aware, of course, yeah. yeah. And and that's how that portrait came about. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Also, there's the irony of changing of hats too, you know, and how, yeah, you know, the narratives also sometimes can be like hats that you wear and take off, you know. Yeah, and, but in yeah. a way, you sort of played into into the into you know his a kind of desire, I suppose, to be portrayed, you know, in a kind of heroic way. I suppose it's yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, it's complicated. I mean, it's a very so. simple portrait in a sense. Yeah. I mean, it was a sort of an empty room and. Uh, and but yeah that's sort of what was going through my mind when i took yeah, that yeah. picture yeah mm. what are you currently concerned with uh, work-wise are you working on any particular stories that are, are sort of taking up your bandwidth uh yeah so i i i just spent uh, a year at harvard um uh, doing a, a neiman fellowship and and it sort of coincided with uh with uh, sort of putting the final details on, on, on this Iraq book and it coincided with the release of the book. And, um, and one of the topics that, that I had been studying at Harvard was uh, the, the, the issue of displacement and, and what sort of uh, what displacement looks like in this sort of day and age and, and, and this sort of idea that um, uh, in a way, flipping the narrative again 
on the representation of, of refugees as, uh, as people that live in camps when in fact the trend is of you know especially with like refugees that are uh, in situations of, of uh, you know protracted sort of displacement where they're you know displaced for many years is that they move into cities you know mm. and they become part of the fabric of, of, of a city and it just happens that that Amman is one of the prime examples of a city that has been really transformed by uh, by many different waves of refugees uh, for centuries, really. You know, going back to to you know uh, Circassians and Chechens, and of course the Palestinians in 1948, 1967. There's Palestinians from Gaza still coming uh, to this day. And then, of course, with the Iraqis uh, from the Iraq War, from the Syrians, uh, from the you know the the, the post Arab Spring, and people that are coming to this day from Yemen, from Sudan, from uh, Eritrea, from many different countries. So, anyways, I I, I am working on a project now that um, that have been uh, funded uh, by the National Geographic Society. I, I got a grant. To, to spend this next year uh, working on a project about Amman and in particular about how these different waves of refugees and all of these different uh, mm. communities of refugees that call Amman home, how they're sort of transforming the identity of, of this city. And yeah. And in a way, of course, it touches into places that I've worked on the ground. Well, and, I was just going to say because I mean, the, yeah. the, the you know the, the, this sort of refugee crises uh, that we've uh, that we've all kind of witnessed, you know, have has again become the sort of defining story, one of the defining stories of the past ten years. So again, you're right on, you know, you're right in the midst of all that, and you, I know you've covered that as a story. So it makes sense that you would sort of want to look yeah, into that. Yeah, and and it's just incredible to really sort of grasp the fact that that there's been people displaced, you know, in the case of the Palestinians, for example, since 1948, you mm. know, and with still holding hope that they one day will be able to return, which obviously seems very unlikely. Uh, or, you know, with the, with the Iraqis, you know, that have been displaced since 2003, mm. you know, or in Syrians since 2012. So this idea of forced displacement and in, in a sort of long-term way, you know, and, and, and what that does to, to a community, uh, and, and sort of the dynamic between these different communities as well in one particular city, I think, is fascinating. And, and of course, there's different sort of categories in a sense of, of refugees. You know, they're the ones yeah. that yeah. that are that have that status as a refugee and they receive, uh, um, you know, humanitarian support from the government, from NGOs, etc. But then there's a whole set of displaced people from certain communities that don't have that status and and they really live in the shadows of of this city and they have their own economy their own way of uh of getting by and and i just this is all happening in the setting of this one city and 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 i just find that uh, uh such yeah. a rich sort of ground for for stories and 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 this is what i Presented for uh, for this this grant and and um, and what I'll be doing uh, for mm. this year. So fascinating. Yeah, 
Oh, well, I look forward to seeing what comes of that. But it's been great to meet you, Moises, and I really appreciate you chatting with me. Thank you so much for no, giving me that time. My pleasure, my pleasure. Pleasure meeting you. Thank you. Thank you.